Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up. We're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. I want to talk to you this morning about faith. And faith is such an important uh, part of our life. For God, it's the beginning and it's the end of our relationship with God. But before I talk about faith, I want to remind you of one of the greatest frustrations in life. One of the great frustrations for me and for most people is people who are able to work, but unwilling to work. Have you run into a few people like that? People who are able to work but are unwilling to work. Uh, We live in a generation uh, where it seems like more and more people are struggling just to find a job, keep a job. And uh, I don't know if that is only this generation, if that's been a problem in previous generations, but you know the the, uh, prototypical 30-year-old artist living in the the parents' basement. Uh, Son, when are you going to get a job? You've already got a master's degree. When are you going to start working? Well, I'm still waiting for that manager's position. Well, I'm hoping that I can uh, make money with my with my uh, guitar. You know, and, and this is a frustration for many people to see that there are uh, people able to work, but who are unwilling to work. This is many much of the reason why uh, that. Uh, unless the Lord speaks to me and leads me to do so, why pretty much I, I don't give money to people on the side of the road. 
Sometimes God will speak and override that, obviously, if I feel the Spirit leading me. But, uh, you know, oftentimes I don't give money to those folks, and it's not because I'm a heartless monster. It's because many of them are choosing to live on the street. They're able to work, but they're unwilling. And so it's just a lot easier to stand on the side of the road and depend on the generosity of other people. And this is a great truth for life. The young people uh, in this place should, should listen to that. Is that If you are able to work, then you should be willing also to work. And you'll be amazed at what this will accomplish in your life if you'll just simply have a willingness to work and to do something with your life. But while that is a very powerful truth, I want to apply that same truth to the arena of our faith. It is a powerful thing this morning to have faith in God. It is our primary connection to the supernatural. Without faith, we have nothing. How many believe that? And with faith, we have access to all things. But the Bible makes a very interesting point in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 20, where the brother of Jesus writes, O foolish man, don't you know that faith without works is what? Dead. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works, faith was made perfect. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by work and not by faith only. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James uses this incredible uh, illustration of a body together with the spirit. God created us as physical and spiritual, unified together in harmony. That's what a human being is. And as soon as you separate your body from your spirit, you've got a major problem on your hands. Well, really, your neighbors do. Because once your body and your spirit are separate, that means you've died. And so it is with our faith that he says, in the same way, if your faith exists alone in a vacuum, it's just in some theological compartment of your brain. Yes, I have a faith in some supernatural. But it does not produce any works. Then James, the brother of Jesus, says it is useless. It is dead faith. And I believe that such a faith is just like the man who panders on the side of the road. Able to work, but unwilling to do anything helpful or useful. Like the artist in Mama's basement. Able to do something. Has a, no, no sickness or illness holding them back. But simply unwilling. And many times, this is what we find in the church of Jesus Christ. is people who have a mental ascension. Yes, I believe in a higher power. Yes, I'm convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, I've even repented of my sins. Well, if you have, beloved, I want to make this point to you. That real faith is going to produce works. Good works in the life of the believer. William Booth put it this way. Famous preacher, founder of the Salvation Army. 
He said, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of a man walking. First the step of faith, and then the step of works, and then faith again, and then works again, until scarcely you can distinguish which is the one and which is the other. I believe that is a very powerful statement that echoes the truth of Scripture that faith without works is dead. Now, in this scripture we're about to read, Second Peter chapter 1, Peter picks up this same thought. And he begins to explain to us and show us that faith is going to produce some things in your life. Now, I am not here this morning to judge the nature of your faith. Your faith is between you and God. I am responsible for only one person's faith in this life, and that's mine. I can judge my own faith and my own relationship with with God. And I am not called this morning to to, uh, examine and to keep your faith on your behalf. That's your job. But what I can do as as an intimate observer, as I can see people's lives, is we can obviously see one another's works. And this, I believe, is the thermometer. This, I believe, is the way that we can take the temperature of our spiritual lives. is simply to examine the works that God is doing through us today. And so let's read together 2 Peter chapter 1, a few verses here. Stick with me and read along as we look at verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things. Everybody say all things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Everybody say, add to your faith. Oh, I wish you would catch that. That faith must be added to Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, add godliness, and to godliness, add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, add love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither... Barren nor you will be neither neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, listen, these he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot to unpack here. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus and we praise you for your work and your truth today. We praise you for your word, God, which instructs us in the things of godliness. I'm praying once again that you would challenge our hearts and that you would speak to us from your word. I pray, God, that you would find people in this place who are not only able to work, but willing willing to give our lives as a sacrifice, willing to do all that you've called us to do, and God, willing to see our faith added and growing. We thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. This is a message I've titled, Faith Goes to Work. And that's what we want this morning. That's what you should want in your life. Faith that is not on its own faith that goes to work. And firstly, I want to talk about obtaining our faith. Peter begins to unpack this in our scripture. How do we obtain this miraculous faith? I said right at the beginning, faith is our primary avenue where we communicate with God. Without faith, what does the Bible say? We cannot please God. Without faith, we have no access to God. Faith is the very first step that we take with God. And we understand that it's not because we figured it out, that we are smarter than any other anybody else, but faith is simply our response to how God has revealed himself to us. That's why you should preach the gospel to your little children when they're young. You know why? Because little children have faith. They believe things. If you tell them there's a big hairy green monster in the closet, they'll probably believe you. Because they have a childlike faith. And Jesus even began to compare us to children. He says, you ought to become like these little children. Because, why? Because children have faith. You can tell when somebody's growing up. Because they don't believe their parents anymore. They start to doubt. They start to question. They start to argue. They start that that little that little uh, uh, God-given uh, 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 seeking of self-will and, and uh, spirit of of slight rebellion has begun to question the world around them. And yes, that is a natural part of growing up. But Jesus says, you ought to become like these little children who simply believe my word. This is how we obtain our faith. Look at our scripture in verse 1. He says, uh, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus I love that Peter here, he is inclusive. He's not saying that I am an apostle, so I have a special level of faith. I got faith on level 11 here, and you little people that I'm writing to, you've got something, but I don't think it's faith. No, he is writing in an inclusive way. He says, we together have obtained like precious faith. In other words, the faith that saved me, the faith that drew me out on the water when Jesus said, come on, Peter, come out of that boat. And he simply believed the same faith that rescued him and redeemed him, the same faith that Jesus had to pick him up after he had fallen and, and, uh, and denied the Lord three times. He says, that same faith is what I see in you. And here we are 2,000 years later. And it's the same faith, beloved, that saved the apostles. 
The same faith that for 2,000 years has been guiding the church is the same like faith that you can tap into this morning. Isn't that incredible? That the church of Jesus Christ, born in faith and continues in the same faith to this day. It's remarkable because you've never seen Jesus. You might have seen a portrayal of him in a movie sometime. You might have seen a picture on a wall with a dinner plate behind his head. You might have seen, you know, an artist rendering of Jesus, but you've never seen Jesus, have you? Some people have seen Jesus in a dream or in a vision or something, but physically we've never seen him because he's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And yet, we have the same faith that the apostles received. We have not heard him teach parables like the apostles did. We've not been witness to his miracles like they were. And just like the audience that Peter is writing to, he says, even though you have not experienced what I've experienced, I understand this, that we have a similar faith. One thing I love about our fellowship, I was just uh, talking to somebody about the conference that I went to a few weeks ago in Prescott, Arizona. And it was a massive, massive build, brand new building that they just opened up, a capacity of 3,500 people. And I was making the comment, I was talking to Pastor Ryan over there, and because uh, he was asking me what, what was it like. And I said, well, one thing that amazed me as I was there, you know, I've been saved and living for God in our fellowship for 20-something years now. And so... I think in my head, I think that I know a lot of people. <laughs> but as I'm there in that conference, there were, there were many times that I found myself sitting in a place, looking around, and I didn't recognize one single person. And I was amazed because I thought to myself, our fellowship has grown so huge. And there's so many people, there's a pastor, there's a guy from Africa, there's Netherlands, there's Romania, there's guy from China. That, and I'm looking around at all these people and I'm thinking, I don't know anyone here. <laughs> I was amazed. So many people. And yet, if I was to go to one of those people and shake their hand and say, hello, my name's Pastor Adam. Oh, hey, Pastor, where are you serving God? I'm in Virginia Beach. I've been there for 10 years now. And I would ask them, and, and where are you, sir? And, and we would exchange stories and immediately there would be a bond. It would be as if we had known each other for 10 plus years. Friendship, together. Common goals, common purpose. And that is what is beautiful about not just our fellowship, but about the church of Jesus Christ. That for 2,000 years, the same faith that we have obtained is what brings us together in Christ. How do we obtain this faith? Peter says that this faith comes through the hearing of the message about Jesus. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the Word of God. That's why we come to church, isn't it? That's why we come not just to watch a video, not just to read a book. We come to hear preaching. We come to hear the Word of God because this is how faith grows. This is why people who uh, do not take the effort to get up and go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. People who don't do that, their faith is not growing. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed? And some people, of course, are you know cannot get out of bed. They're, they're, they're uh, physically unable 
And so we pray for them. The church of Jesus Christ ought to go to them, right? And fellowship with them so that their faith can continue to grow. But uh, but in our generation, you see some people who just, uh, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Doesn't work. Doesn't work because together we are able to see our faith continue to grow because faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11, verse 1, the faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without this faith, we cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we see that the end result of our faith, the, the, the reason that we can receive salvation is because of this faith. Just one chapter before, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 9, says that receiving the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Can I tell you, this is why we need faith. Because without it, your soul will not experience salvation. Faith is what leads to salvation. Now, I know that this is some basic stuff, but listen, we need to hear these things, don't we? And we're going somewhere. This is how faith begins to grow. Now, it is through this faith, beloved, not only are our souls receiving salvation, but through this faith, God begins to do something in our lives. In our scripture, look at verse 3 again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Everybody there? If you can, can understand this scripture, this will change your life. Verse 3 says, His divine Power. How much divine power does God have? Just consider that for a moment. Does God have more power than a Ferrari? Does God have more power than an erupting geyser or volcano? Does God have more power than a 747 jet engine? Does God have more power than the sun that is shining down and keeping this earth alive? Does God have more power than every star in all the universe combined and put together? Yes, he does. All of that divine power. Now, you've got to grasp what we're talking about. God's power is shown in creation that he simply speaks the word and creation leaps into existence. That's power. Okay, everybody got it? Divine power. Now, what does God do with his divine power? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Can I tell you, every one of your excuses is out the window right there. Pastor, I just can't live for God. It's too hard. I can't stay holy. There's too much temptation. This world is so full of sin. I've got too many friends that are backsliding. Every excuse out the window right there. Because what, what the Apostle Peter just told us is that all of God's power is given to you so that you can live a godly life. I don't want to hear people's excuses anymore. As a pastor, that's what I'm called to do lovingly and patiently is listen to your excuses. But all of our excuses are gone with that scripture. 
I want you to say it out loud this morning with me. I have all the power that I need to live for God. Okay, now I want you to say it like you believe it. I have all the power that I need to live for God. That's right, you do. You have all the power that you need. And yes, this life is difficult, and yes, we go through things, and yes, there are disappointments and failures and setbacks. We live in an imperfect world. But at the end of it all, do you believe the Word of God or not? Do you believe that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? It is through this faith that God gives us this power. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 4, God has given us power and he has also granted us promises. Everybody say promises. Read the scripture, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Just to name a few promises that God has given to us. How about the promise of the Holy Spirit? The promise of God's Holy Spirit that lives in us and moves through us. It said right there in verse 4 that we have become partakers. Say partakers. Do you know what that word means? It means that we are uh, we are together with God's divine nature. We are working together that God has chosen to partner together with frail humanity. Oh, I wish you could catch this this morning. We have become partakers of the divine nature. How does that work? Through the Holy Spirit. God sends His Holy Spirit to those who believe, to those who participate with God. become partakers and the promises how about the promise that he will forgive your sins it's a precious promise isn't it and if we will confess our sins if we will repent that he is faithful and just to forgive all of our unrighteousness isn't that a wonderful promise that his mercy is new every morning that god is not like the muslim god who's angry with his followers and you see that that anger filters down into, into many of those people. Many of those who have rejected uh, the God of the Bible and believe in Allah. And you know why? Because the, Allah is, is a God that you don't know. He's a God that could be very angry today. There's no for, forgiveness. There's no promise of justification. But the God of the Bible... Jesus Christ, He promises. You just call out to Him and He will forgive. How about the promise to hear our prayers? Sometimes it's hard to pray. And you know why? Because we're not sure if God is even listening. Sometimes it's just you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and smacking you in the face. Why should I even keep praying? Is it doing anything? How about God has promised to hear the prayers of the righteous? That's a precious promise in the Word of God. How about the promise later on in this Scripture, the promise of eternal life? 
Who deserves eternal life? I know I don't. I know you don't. And yet God has given us this precious promise that we can live forever with Him. How about the promise in Hebrews 13, verse 5, promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. These are the precious promises that are given to God's people this morning as a result of our faith. Now let's look secondly, that faith, it produces all of these wonderful things in our lives, but faith, according to our scripture, is not static. And what I mean by that this morning is faith is not something that should stay unchanged. Faith needs to be dynamic. Faith in your life needs to grow. This is one of the things in our lives that if you have the same faith that you had last year, then you are not doing what God has called you to do. If you have the same faith as when you were a new convert, your faith has not grown or matured, your faith has not gotten bigger or smaller, something is wrong. This is true in the natural. It's true in our children. If we see that a whole year passes and your child has not grown, we say something's wrong. Go to the doctor. If your child goes from uh, goes from age uh, 12 to 14 and 15 and still in the sixth grade, we need to talk about a few things, right? Something going on here. It's also true of your faith, beloved, that faith must grow. And that's why in verses 5, 6, and 7, the Apostle Peter begins to give us a very helpful and, uh, and practical list of things that we can be adding to our faith every day of our lives. And I want to just go through a few of these with you this morning. As faith, we must begin to add to our faith. Any child has simple faith. And faith alone has the power to save us. Aren't you glad for that? That faith connects us to the supernatural and produces so many good things in our lives, but faith on its own is dead. Faith must be together, combined with works. And here, the Apostle Peter begins to tell us some of those things. To faith, we should add virtue. Verse 5. What is virtue? It's another word for righteousness, purity, holiness. Virtue. It's a word we don't use too often anymore in 2019. Are you a virtuous person? Have you begun in your life, in your Christian walk, to pursue virtue? This is what is missing from so much of discipleship in Christian life today. We, we tell people that you must be born again. We tell people, yes, you have to believe God. You have to trust Him. You'll hear that preached in every church, but many churches don't take the next step of what do we add to our faith? Virtue. You know why? Because adding virtue to your faith is a sign of a maturing Christian. You remember when you were a teenager, I can remember so clearly, vividly, having this torn personality. 
teenagers, you know, their brain hasn't fully developed yet. And so they're torn between two worlds. The, the world of childhood, we're still dependent on mom and dad, uh, uh, not given to any responsibility, which is how it should be as a child. And then the world of adulthood, this desire and longing to be free from the constraints of the past. And there's this adolescent age where your personality is torn, right? And I can remember it so clearly. I can remember uh, driving for the very first time. When I got my car, man, and I was for the very first time in my whole life driving down the road in my 1978 Chevy Beauville piece of trash. But I didn't care because I was the only one in the car. And I could go wherever I wanted. That sense of incredible freedom, right? Amazing. And yet, I was still an adolescent. I was still dependent on mom for a lot of things. Like a place to live and food to eat and a refrigerator that didn't have a lock on it. Amazing. And I can remember this struggle. And listen, I want to tell you, the reason I'm telling you about this is because I see the exact same struggle in many people's spiritual life. Now, you might be a grown adult. You figured out how to pay a few bills and how to have some responsibility in your life. But spiritually, I see so many people who are still spiritual adolescents. Still have the, the simple faith like a child, but that faith needs to grow. Needs to advance. Needs to move forward. Needs to move out from mom's basement. Get a job. Faith needs to get a job. And the first job is virtue. We read in, uh, I believe it was in Ephesians, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Our first order of business is to figure out what sins are besetting us and to do all that is in our power to be rid of them. That's what virtue is. Okay? So we add to faith virtue. Wow, what an incredible uh, move that, yes, from our simple faith that connects us to God, we take the next step. God, I want to be virtuous. I want to be righteous. I want to live for God. I want to think clearly. I want my mind to be renewed. And what do we add to that? To virtue, we should add knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. Oh, knowledge. Now, now, we've got to be careful about knowledge because knowledge is about information. And some people think that just because you have a lot of knowledge means that you also have faith and virtue, but that is not true. Universities are full of uh, uh, pandering young uh, uh, grown-ups, <laughs> young people who are filling their minds with information, but they, they, they think they're smarter than everybody else. They don't have faith or virtue. So what I'm saying is that knowledge on its own, see, any one of these on its own, apart from the rest, is not helpful. Knowledge on its own can give you a sense of pride. Look down on everybody else. Oh, all you little people that don't have college degrees. Poo on you. I know a guy that uh, he, he, was in our, um, he was in our youth group when, when we were teen leaders back in Chandler. And today, uh, he... He, he became a professional student. You know anybody like that? He, he was in school forever. You know, he got a master's degree and he got a, he got a doctorate. And, and now he's a professor in the university. He, I mean, he just never got out of university. He's still there to this day. 
And, uh, and so, I mean, it's a very smart guy, very smart kid. He, he's got a lot of knowledge. But you know, when it comes to spiritual things, he's an idiot. He's addicted to alcohol. He's sleeping around with all kinds of things. That, From what I hear, there's a lot of people don't like him. And so it's possible to have a lot of knowledge, but it work against you. But when we will do this, listen, when we will add to our faith virtue, and we will add to our virtue knowledge, wow, this can be such a helpful thing for your life. What is knowledge? It is information about how to live for God. It is common sense that's so lacking in our generation. Common sense isn't common anymore. But that's what it means. That's our, our discipleship should include learning. That many times the disciples would just sit around and listen to Jesus talk, letting that information go into their brains, thinking about things. You know, God gave you a big noodle between your ears. You ought to use it. You ought to learn some things. You ought to study a few things. Study the Word of God. Figure out what you believe. Add to your virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, uh uh-oh, here we go. Your favorite. What do we add to knowledge? Self-control. Self-control. I want to eat the entire bowl of pasta, but instead I'm only going to have one serving. (laughs) I want to eat the entire gallon of ice cream, I'm only going to have two cups, like it says on the serving size. Half a cup of ice cream. I want to flirt with that woman, but I'm married, so I'm not going to do that. Self-control. I want to take that thing that's just sitting out there on the desk. Nobody's watching. That envelope full of cash, nobody would miss it. But I'm a Christian, so I don't do those kinds of things. That's called self-control. Parents, that's what you need to be teaching to your children. Hopefully, by the age that they leave your house, you've taught them enough self-control that they don't go to jail. Self-control, what do we add to that? Perseverance. You know what perseverance means? There's an old Bible word. That we should put there instead of perseverance. It's called long-suffering. You know what long-suffering means? Suffering for a long time. This is a missing skill in many people's lives. This is what it means to be an adult, isn't it? When you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work, but you go to work anyway because you have bills. That's called long-suffering. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to continue doing what's right, even when I don't have everything that I want in place. Another word for that is discipline. I'm going to keep praying, even when I don't see results. I'm going to keep evangelizing, even when I don't see people get saved. I'm going to keep coming to church, even if I'm discouraged. I'm going to keep tithing and giving, even if I'm a little bit short at the end of the month. See, this is adult faith. These are the works that we need to add to our faith. We need to put faith to work. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, everybody say, does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know why Jesus said that? Because there was a lot of people listening to Jesus teach, and they were doing nothing of what he taught. I feel the same sometimes. I preach three sermons a week. And we do that because we believe the Word of God has power. And I give people advice. I send people scriptures. I text message. I call people and say, you know what the Word of God says? And, and, you know, some people come to me after services and they say, Pastor, man, powerful service. I felt the power of God. Oh, oh man, good message, Pastor. And you know what I usually tell them? Okay, do it. We'll see how powerful it was if you do it. If you do what I said, not just hear it. The Bible commands us not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. If Jesus had to say it to his crowd, don't you think it's still true today? Don't just hear the word, do the word. And so we see that this ever-growing uh, faith continues to increase in measure from Faith, we we add knowledge. Knowledge, we add self-control. Self-control, we add perseverance, patience. How about James 1, verse 2? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Can I tell you? Nothing in this life makes you perfect except patience. Doctors have lots of patience. Sorry, dad joke. And to this we should add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kind, the love of the brotherhood. I'm always suspicious of people who tell me how much they don't like the church. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love God. I just don't like Christians. I don't like the church. I don't like organized religion. You've heard people say that? And many times this is stemming from some abuse that they've suffered or, you know, somebody looked at them side-eyed in the middle of a church service and they walked out with a bad attitude. You know, I don't like organized religion. But what that shows me is that there is something lacking in their faith. I want to tell you this morning that I love the church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) We're probably half of our normal size on a Sunday morning right now, but I don't care. I love you people. I love the church. And I have to check myself every time I start thinking, oh, a bunch of losers. Nobody's seriously living for God. Hey, you better be careful when you start criticizing the bride of Jesus. Is there any husband in this place that would sit there idly and let someone else offend his wife? Man of God, would you let your wife be offended in your presence? Not stand up for her? You better not. You better stand up for your wife. You better start slapping somebody around. You don't talk about my wife like that. Don't you think Jesus also defends his wife? His bride? The church of Jesus Christ? That he is jealous for her? That he defends her? And if you ever find yourself criticizing The bride of Christ? Watch out. Watch out. 
Brotherly love is the mark of faith that is being built, faith that is working, faith that is growing. We ought to, instead of criticize, we ought to encourage. We ought to build one another up. Every time you come to church, don't leave until you've encouraged somebody. Don't leave until you've said a good word to somebody. Don't leave the service today until you have equipped someone for the work of Jesus Christ. Do not leave this church. Listen, I need your encouragement. Every time I come to church, the pastor needs encouragement too. Yes? This is a sign of faith that is in motion, is working. And finally, to add to our faith, we must add love. Love, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the godly kind of love, not the, not the passive lust of this world, but the love of God is described in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the mark of faith that is growing. When God's love begins to be imprinted on your life. Do you know who God loves? Sinners. Do you know who Jesus Christ prayed for? People who were killing him, murdering him in the act. Jesus praying for them with his hands spread wide. Father, forgive them. This is the kind of godly love that seeks to sacrifice self for the sake of someone else. And this is the mark of faith that is growing. Faith that is advancing. Faith works. Faith works. Like William Booth said, faith, salvation. Faith, self-control. Faith, perseverance. And that's the kind of thing that I should be able to see in your life. Are you with me? All right, let's close this. Let's bring this thing in for a landing. Faith is what leads to maturity. If your faith is not growing, then you are in danger of becoming a stagnant Christian. You know what that means? Stagnant. There is only one sea in the world that is called the Dead Sea. You know why it's called the Dead Sea? Because it is the lowest elevation of anywhere on earth. It is actually below sea level. It's in the middle of a desert, so what's happening is that water is flowing into the Dead Sea, but it has no outlet. Water flows in, but the only way water can come out is through evaporation. And do you know what's left behind? Salt, among other things. Filth. And that water has become stagnant. Nothing can live in that water. There's no fish. There's no clams. There's no worms. The birds stay away. There's a reason it's called the Dead Sea. It's dead because 
water flows in, but nothing flows out. I just described most Christians in the United States of America who go to church Sunday after Sunday hearing the Word of God. Through the Word of God, we we gain faith. Faith comes in, but does it go out? The danger is that we become the dead sea where the Spirit of God flows into us, but nothing flows out. When we come to church on Sunday and spend the rest of our week as if we were atheists, Nothing is flowing out. You're not sharing with anyone your testimony. You're not exercising your faith in prayer and reading the Word. You're not persevering. You're not giving. You're not doing all of these things. We just talked adding to your faith virtue. You're not practicing holiness. You're giving in to every temptation that comes along. And what happens is we become like that Dead Sea, stagnant. In our faith. This is what happened to the church in Laodicea. We talked about last week. They become lukewarm. They're just not excited anymore. And we become so ineffective. And the only example that we are setting forth is a bad example. Some people say, that's my ministry, Pastor. I'm here to serve as a bad example. Don't be like him. Thank God for him. We become unfruitful, unproductive, and God is not able to. And so this is, this is people who have faith, yes. Faith that saves, faith that is connected to you to God, and yet faith that is not working. We become stagnant. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, the last thing I want to share with you is the reward to those who put their faith into practice. Look at verse 10 of our chapter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear that promise in verse 10? If you do these things, you will never stumble. There is a brand of Christianity that defends wickedness. There is a brand of Christianity that is loose with morality says, oh, just, you know, just let people live. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Don't get involved. And I I understand where people are coming from. Judge not, lest ye be judged. But when I read promises like this, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Again, all excuses are removed. The Word of God is clear. If you live according to these things, You don't have to stumble. You don't have to be every week struggling with sin. You don't have to every week be still addicted to the same old addictions. You can come to a point in your life where you don't have to stumble. You know, when your little children, when they start to walk, it's it's okay for them to stumble. We even laugh at them. (laughs) It's so cute. They're stumbling all over the place. 
But, you know, if, if you're a 40-year-old man and you can't walk down a sidewalk, problem, right? You're stumbling on every little crack. Stumbling, you can't even chew gum and walk at the same time. Stumbling over every, uh, there, there's, there's, you know, a car passes on the road. <laughs> Stumble about every tiny thing in life. Listen, God has called us in this scripture to make our call and election sure. Make it stable. Make it firm. Firm foundation. Jesus, the rock that we're standing on. We are anchored to Him. There's no reason that if we follow His Word that we cannot also be stable with Him. Stable in our faith. Stable in our works. Not constantly blown to and fro like the wind. Be diligent. Make your call and election sure. And when we do these things, beloved, let's close with that last promise that's given in verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we pursue this life, this, this is why Christianity is the really, it's the one thing that really matters. Because you can't say that about anything else in your life. You know, if you keep your budget perfect every month, it still will not supply you an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? If you keep your body in top physical condition, right? And if you did that for your whole life and that's all you did, that would not provide you entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you became the model citizen, if you performed your duty to vote and cleaned up the streets and helped the neighbor in need and you did all these wonderful things, but you didn't do all these things that Jesus talked about, that would not provide for you an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What we are doing this morning is part of the process that is leading to our eternal life. why it matters. That's why church matters. That's why tithing matters. That's why, that's why being faithful to the house of God matters. And even though we've got a whole bunch of people missing this morning, you know what? Every single one of them, they told me before they left, Pastor, I'm going to be out of town. I'm not, I just want to make sure that you know I'm not missing because I just forgot to wake up that morning because I'm going to be out of town visiting family, this, that. They were faithful. They're accountable, right? Thank God for that. This is people who have a vision because we understand that this is what is leading to the everlasting kingdom. See, I want to tell you that God is not afraid to bribe you. Sometimes we look down on parents and say constantly bribing their children to get them to do things. But when you look at Scripture, I mean, you know, God is kind of bribing us. He's dangling in front of us the promise of eternal life. Just do these things and you'll live forever. 
just live for me. Add to your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge. On and on it goes. If you do these things, make your call and election sure. Oh, I've got a promise for you. Entrance into an everlasting kingdom. Have you ever gotten entrance to an exclusive place? Have you ever gotten entrance? I remember uh, just a few weeks ago when we were, you know, we were going to the Congress building. We're going to take a tour of the Capitol building with uh, Pastor Mitika and Lily. And they have a system of appointments. You've got to make an appointment before you go. There's a limited number of people that can go through there. And as we're approaching the, uh, the entrance to the place, you know, I've got my phone out. I've got the little barcode on there. And the, there's a person standing at the desk. She said, did you make an appointment? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and I was provided entrance into a crumbling foundation, <laughs> into a human institution that has a really nice building on the outside. I want to tell you, what we're talking about this morning is not entrance into the Capitol building, not entrance into a White House, not entrance into a nice party. Everlasting kingdom. Now that's exciting. And I want to encourage you, put your faith to work this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close once again and as God begins to speak to us. I believe God is speaking to some hearts this morning. And God's going to help us today as we apply the Word of God to our own lives. There's a reason why the Apostle Peter uses this language. He says, make your election and your calling sure. Make it secure. It is a healthy and necessary thing for us from time to time to examine the nature of our faith. If you have not done that recently in your life, maybe now's the time just to take stock, to, to uh, open the books for a few moments of your life. You might be able to, to say, Pastor, yes, I believe. I believe God. Wonderful. Even the demons believe. The real question this morning is what is your faith doing? What did your faith do in the last 24 hours? What did your faith do in the last week since the last Sunday we were together? What was your faith doing in the last year or in the last decade? If you're taking stock of the actions that your faith has been doing. I wonder this morning, are you disappointed? Lord, I want my faith to go to work. I want my faith to get a job. The reason Peter uses this language of making our election and our calling sure or secure is because sometimes our election and our calling could be unsure. There are some people who think that they have a relationship with God, but there's not a lot of evidence to support that claim. 
And I wonder today, as you come into this place, maybe you're here and you want to do that very thing. Oh, God, I want to make my election and my calling secure. How do you do that? It's the same way that you first came to the kingdom. Repentance. Confess your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your election and your calling is made secure when you will simply obey the gospel. And I want to ask if there's someone here today that that's what you need. Before you leave this place, Lord, I want to make my election and my calling sure. I don't want to be in doubt. I don't want to have any question in my mind. I want to know that I know that I know that I am saved and I'm going to heaven. (laughs) I don't want there to be any doubt. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Can I see your hand? Is there someone here? Thank you for that hand. Is there someone here? Thank you for that hand. Someone else, quickly. I want to know that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, to the eternal kingdom of God. Is there someone else? Quickly. I want to be sure. I want to know that I know. My calling is secure. Is that anyone else? Quickly here. You lift up your hand. Brother, you lifted up your hand. I want you to come. We're going to pray with you here at the altar. There was a little hand that went up here at the front. I'd like you to come, too. We're going to have somebody pray with you. We're going, to get, we're going to ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to know him as our Lord and Savior. We do not forbid the little ones from coming to Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray together. Before we close this service today, I want to ask you as the church, I want to ask us to, uh, to stand up to our feet as we bring this service to an end. A very simple message today that faith, if it is real, needs to be growing. We need to be adding these things to our faith today. And if you have been challenged this morning to add something to your faith, I want to encourage you to come now as we bow down before the Lord and say, God, uh, I want my faith to grow. I want to add virtue. I want to add knowledge. I want to add perseverance and self-control and all these things. Lord, I want you to add, make my faith actionable. Amen. This altar is open. Let's come together and let's bow our heads and our hearts as we cry out to the Lord. Lord, put my faith to work. My faith needs to get a job this morning. I want to put my faith in action. Let's believe God together in this place. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.